So today I have a, a special, you can be seated, I have a special treat for you. Um, how about a little bit of, there you go, y'all can go ahead. Um, I'm going to show you a video about six weeks ago. I was sitting in my office and I get emails and, and I look at different stuff all the time. And um, I watched this video and it's by a guy named Michael Jr. Michael Jr. is a uh, Christian comedian. If you've ever heard of the Thou Shalt Laugh series, my mom used to buy me every year for Christmas, she would buy me Thou Shalt Laugh. And that would be one of my presents that I would get. And mom spent so much money on each child. And so if she bought you a gift, whatever that gift cost, she would take the amount off and then she'd give you cash, the rest of it. So like one time Caleb got 3266 or something like that because mom had bought him a gift. But anyway, Thou Shalt Laugh is one of our favorite things. It's all Christian comedians. It's all clean. Now, Michael Jr., uh, this is when he was speaking at uh, Life Church, which is uh, Craig Groeschel's church, and you'll hear him uh, reference Pastor Craig. Um, but he, this guy is world famous. He's been on Leno. He's been, um, before Leno quit, he's been on Jimmy Fallon. He's been on all kinds of different things. And he's going to tell you a little bit of his story And as I sat in my office watching this, I thought the church has to see this. They have to hear this message because it's so powerful. And then this week I sat and watched it again. And so I I put on the listening guide, the things that, that he's talking about. Y'all have listening guides. If, if not raise your hand and we'll get you one. Anybody need one? John needs one up here. This is really, really good stuff. And I, I I want you to get this. I'm going to come back at the end and, and kind of wrap it all up. But but Michael Jr. is sharing at Life Church, and I want you to follow along, and, and we'll leave a little bit of the lights, just a little bit of the house lights up, but we'll we'll uh, dim the rest of it. And I think you're really going to enjoy this young man, Michael Jr. All right. That was cool. Thanks, man. We're going to have a blast. It's so cool. Um, we're going to laugh. So listen, I'm going to do some joke. We're going to laugh. It's going to be cool. Some people think you're not supposed to laugh at church. What good father doesn't want to hear his children's laughter in his house. So we're going to laugh. It's going to be cool. And then maybe the Pharisees will go home. I don't know what you got to do. So I want to tell you about uh, me and Pastor Craig. Uh, we went out to eat. Uh, and you guys see him as a, like, you don't get to see him on a personal level when he's, he's still a pastor no matter where he goes. So we're, we're out to eat. And, um, and this, the waitress is clearly a little distraught. I didn't notice it at first. I'm like, whatever, I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> but she was a little distraught, and he noticed it. He points it out to me, and then he says something to her that just blesses her in a way I can't explain. So the waitress walks over, and he looks at her, and um, wait, you know, there's two scriptures that I need to get out the way first. Let me do this. Um, <laughs> there's two scriptures. There's Jeremiah uh, 29.11. And then there's also um, another one that's on the screen right there. <laughs> yeah. So those two scriptures, which is <laughs> Romans uh, 12.2, both of those scriptures are uh, extremely important. So after you see what I'm going to say today, go home and read them on your own time, and then it's going to pop even more. It's going to be great. <laughs> so let me tell you about me. My experience in church when I was a kid was extremely uh, different from this. Like, this is mad cool. But when I was a kid, laughing at church was illegal. I remember one time laughing at church, one time this lady was jumping around and her wig fell off. <laughs> that stuff was hysterical. I laughed, my grandmother would pinch and twist. I can understand a pinch. You gonna twist? That's the devil. And this church was miserable. I remember one time going to church and it's like a, it's a, it's literally like a dead body in the front. And nobody explains to a seven year old Michael Jr., this is a funeral, it's not church. 
I'm thinking, yo, that's how they roll. Like every three weeks or so, they bring a dead body in as an illustration or something. And the dude on stage would yell at us like, we did it. I remember asking my grandma, I was like, Grandma, what happened to the man in the box? What happened to the man in the box? Her whole explanation was, he in a better place. I'm like, what kind of box did he live in before? And I'm seven years old, so I have no idea what's going on. And this dude is on stage, and every time we go to church, it seems like he was mad at us. And I figured out why he was mad. It was because he had some phlegm caught in his throat. Because at the end of every sentence, he would try to get it out. He'd be like, the Lord said, <laughs> act like you're, <laughs> this is a black church, in case y'all wondering, some of y'all don't really know what. Church was miserable. It was, it was like the worst. It lasts like six hours. Then we go in the basement, eat a sandwich, and come back up. I'm like, what was that? Halftime or something? Before I go any further, there's this thing I've been doing lately. I want to do with you guys. I would like to explain to you guys how comedy works. A lot of comedians, some comedians aren't even aware of this. Some comedians would never share this with you. But I thought I'd share with you how comedy works. Let me explain. First, there's a setup. And then there's a punchline. L- l- let me break it down a little further. The setup is when a comedian will use his talents and resources to seize any opportunity to ensure that his audience is moving in the same direction. The punchline occurs when he changes that direction in a way you weren't expecting. When you catch on to this change, you have received the punchline. The results are revelation, fulfillment, and joy expressed through laughter. I just thought I'd share that with you so you can enjoy these jokes on another level. <laughs> So seven years old, I hope you're tracking with me, 14 years old, uh, we don't have a lot of money. Like we, we don't got no money growing up. Like we ain't had no, I was actually being sponsored by a family from Haiti. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny joke, man. Some, some Christians don't know what to do with that joke. You can't laugh and shake your head. <laughs> Like, we had no money. We don't got no money. You get creative. I remember I wanted an action figure. I was 10 years old. I just wanted an action figure around 14, 10 years old, whatever. I'm making this up right now. <laughs> My dad hands me a box. I opened it up. It was empty. He said, it's Invisible Man. <laughs> I played with that thing for three weeks, man. <laughs> Till my brother hid it from me, man. Me and a friend made a pat right around 14 years old, too, that we wouldn't curse anymore. I don't know anything about God. My grandmother literally, instead of forcing me to go to church, she would ask me if I wanted to go. So I was like, let me think about this. No. Church was miserable. Why would I go to church? So me and a friend made a, a pat outside of that that we wouldn't curse anymore. He don't know anything about Jesus. I don't know anything about Jesus, but this was the deal. If he heard me curse, he could hit me in the chest as hard as he wanted to and vice versa. Dude could hit hard. I stopped cursing immediately. <laughs> We still did regular stuff. We played games. One of my friends actually had money. He They afforded stuff that, that we couldn't, we just couldn't get. Like uh, one of my friends had allergies. <laughs> I wanted allergies too. I didn't even know what they were, man. <laughs> this is how I found out what allergies were. I went over to his house. His dad made dinner and he, and he looked at the food and he went like this. He said, dad, I'm not going to eat that. That's what he said to his dad. 
And my natural response was to duck. <laughs> you say something like that to my dad, something going to happen. But instead, his dad goes like this. Oh, that's right. I forgot. You have allergies. I was like, what are these allergies? Where can I get some? A few days, a few days later, I get home. I get to the green beans on my plate. I'm like, I'm going to try this. I was like, Dad, I'm not going to eat this. Let me just say, there was a bad reaction. There was some swelling and some watery eyes, too, man. So, turns out I have allergies after all. I also started noticing around that age, I was having a hard time reading. Now, I noticed it before that, but right around 14 years old, I'm also noticing girls. And I don't want the girls to know I'm struggling with my reading. So if I saw a word, let me say, by the way, as an adult, I read just fine. Like the signs over the door that say excite. I can read that stuff. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I would struggle with my reading. I couldn't sound a word out phonetically. It just... It just didn't work. So I would have to look at the word differently. I would look at the font size, the color of the word, the positioning, what's in front of it, what's behind it, how people are responding to it. I came up with all these ways to look at a word to determine what it was. By the time I got to high school, I was so fast at this. People didn't know I wasn't really reading. I was just working it out. Now as an adult, I read just fine, but I still have this ability to look at words and people and situations seven different ways almost immediately. In fact, it's the primary place where I pull my comedy from. So that very thing that looked like it was a handicap when I was a kid, God didn't cause it, but he was using it in preparation for what he asked me to do. It wasn't a handicap. It's almost as if I was practicing. I just didn't know I was practicing. Let me say this one more time so you can really understand what I'm saying. That thing from your past, you never met your dad before, you were divorced. Whatever that is, God didn't cause it, but he will use it in preparation for what he has you to do. Somebody may need to hear your story. You've been practicing. You just didn't know you were practicing. So now, um, here's what's cool. Here's what's cool about practicing, like looking at things differently. Stuff will happen. I had a little kid standing in the autograph line for like 30 minutes. This cool little white kid. I was like, hey, what's up? What's your name? He said, I'm Tanner. I'm like, uh, no, you're not. I'm Tanner. <laughs> or people ask me questions, like weird little questions, like, and I just look at words. It's fun looking at the words or imagining them. They'll say, Michael Jr., where are you from originally? I'm like, originally? Huh. Well, uh, I was conceived in Michigan. Uh, before that, I was with my dad. Uh, and, uh, and then there was a swim competition, right? And, uh, and I won, which is crazy. <laughs> I don't even know black people like to swim, man. It's crazy. I don't know anything we do, actually. <laughs> 26 years old, I moved to New York City. I hope you're tracking with me. We're going someplace. <laughs> the reason I moved to New York City is because I'm from Michigan. And in New York, if you're not funny, the way they let you know is they'll say something like, you're not funny. <laughs> so in New York City, there's, there's this uh, club called the Comic Strip Live that is the best club in New York City. It's so hard to get in this club. They have an open mic on Tuesday nights that starts at 7.30 p.m. Comedians actually start lining up to do three minutes in front of the manager at 6 o'clock in the morning. And, and if for some reason the manager likes them, next, the next month they don't have to wait in line. So it's finally my turn to perform at the Comic Strip Live. And right before I get on stage, this comedian named George Wallace walks in. 
Now, if you don't know who George Wallace is, one of my favorite jokes he does, he says he was in China, he bought a pair of shoes, he looked at the bottom of them, and it said, made right around the corner. <laughs> now, I love George Wallace, but here's the problem. Whenever someone like that walks in, whoever's next gets bumped. I'm next, and I know I'm about to get bumped. But no, this is where God shows up for the first time in my life. Well, this is where I noticed him. The manager's walking over to me. He says, listen, Michael, George Wiles is here. Uh, do you want to go before him or after him? I was like, uh, let me think this over. Before him, please. <laughs> so I'm going before George Wallace, and I got New Yorkers laughing. Not only are New Yorkers laughing, but he's laughing as well after, after he comes into the room. And then after the show, there's a bunch of comedians. They're all around him, asking him questions. He leaves them, and he comes over to me. And he says, you're really funny. I was like, wow, snap, thanks, man. He said, let me ask you a question. He's like, why don't you curse? I was like, um, I don't know. Where'd my grandmother walk in? <laughs> my grandmother won't come into New York? But what else was I going to say? My friend might hit me in the chest. I'm a grown man. <laughs> the truth is, I didn't have any reason not to curse, except for the fact that I made a deal with a friend a long time ago. I had no idea. So... So I decide, you know, he says to me, you're funny and you're really, really clean. I'd love for you to do a show with me and my best friend in a couple nights. I don't even know his best friend is. It don't matter. I could do another show. I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm like, yeah. We get to the show. It's me, George Wallace, Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> so we do two shows. I get two standing ovations. I rip. I'm the man. I'm like, yeah. After the show, the club manager, it's a different club. He walks up to me and he says, uh, Hey, listen, uh, Michael, you had a great set tonight. Uh, would you like to go to church with me tomorrow? It's like, church? I just got two standing ovations, man. Why are you messing this up right now, man? <laughs> Nobody going to church, man. That stuff is miserable. Ain't nobody going to church. You better back up. I ain't going to, no, I ain't going to church. 20 minutes later, his fiance asked me the same question. She was fine. I mean, she was beautiful. And she had some kind of accent, too. She was like, Michael Jr., would you like to go to church with us? I was like, I was just looking for a church the other day, man. I was like, man, you find me a church, man. Shoot. Man. So I go to this church for the wrong reasons. I can't even find these people. I'm sitting way in the back. This church is huge. There's like 4,000 people at this church. I'm sitting way in the back. And this dude comes out on stage, right? And he was talking about Jesus. That's it. He was just talking. He wasn't screaming. He wasn't yelling. He didn't have no perm. <laughs> like he was just talking about Jesus. Then he did this thing where he said, can I get a hallelujah? That's what he said. Can I get a hallelujah? And I know what that means. That means you want me to say what you just said, but I don't know what that means. So I ain't saying it. That's what I'm thinking in my head. And then he says, in case there's anyone in here that doesn't know what hallelujah means. And then I said, this place is creepy. He said, it's the highest praise you can give. And then he did this thing where he did an altar call. He did an altar call. And Pastor Craig does this phenomenal. He does, he, he does this, this altar call where he said, if you want Jesus in your life, all you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and then raise your hand or, or come forward. And I really wanted to do it. I'm telling you like I'm telling you. I really wanted to. But I was like, no, nah, I got to read the pamphlet first. <laughs> I don't know, man. Because I knew a couple of Christians, and it was kind of creepy. There's some creepy Christians out there. <laughs> If you don't know any creepy Christians, it's you. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just 
Your, your friends know one. Or should I say your friend knows one? So I told myself, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I got to read the pamphlet first. And I was like, I got to, I don't know, because it could be a catch or something. Because there's some Christians, do you ever know a Christian and they, they're cool at first. And then when they start talking about God, their voice change. Like you just talk, hey, you see the game? It was a good game. And I'm like, can I tell you about the Lord? What is wrong with your voice? What, what just happened to the octaves? So I told myself I'd read the whole Bible before I went to the altar. I didn't even have a Bible. I didn't know it was that big. <laughs> and this lady at the O'Hare Airport, I don't even know this lady. Out of nowhere, she just hands me her Bible. We never even exchanged words. She just hands me her Bible. So I opened the Bible up, and the Bible was made. In, I read the copyrights first. <laughs> the Bible was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Me too. <laughs> read the Bible. I'm going to church. I'm reading the Bible. I'm going to church. And now I'm very, very, in, like I'm digging in. I understand, but I'm reading the Bible. At this point in New York, all I'm doing the whole time I'm in New York City is hitting the comedy clubs, reading the Bible, and sleeping. Like that literally is all I'm doing. I'm putting in like 14 hours a day. Because now I really want to get my life over Jesus, but I told myself I'd read the Bible first. You don't have to do that. I just wanted to stick to what I said. So I'm digging into it. 14 hours a day. It's like nine pages a day. I was digging in. I was like... <laughs> I get to the part of Matthew where it said Jesus died for me. I did not know that Jesus died for me until I was 27 years old. Literally, I didn't know. I'd been to church, people yelling, screaming. I saw the little crucifix thing. Same thing was on a rapper's neck. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> I didn't know until I read it right there in Matthew that Jesus died for me. I didn't know. Then I turned to Mark, and he died again. I'm like, what is going on? Why they keep killing him? I don't understand what's going on. Get to Revelations, and I was like, reading the Bible is like paying bills. You gotta pay attention to the red ink. Like, you better pay attention to something gonna get cut off or something gonna happen. So I finish reading the Bible, and I go to church, and I run up to the altar, like, during the announcements. I was like, yeah, I know you got a picnic on Saturday, but is Jesus here right now? Because I'm ready. So I give my life over to God, and now I understand some stuff. Like, I understand. Before, I just thought I was funny, but now I understand I'm funny for a reason. Like, there's purpose behind me having a sense of humor, and God has a purpose for it. Just like he has a a purpose for you. He even has a purpose for the things that you've been through, even though he didn't cause them, but he's using them. You've been practicing. For a lot of you guys, it is game time. Or you end up on the field, not knowing what to do, and then just practicing some more. So now I'm in that club, and I leave New York because it's extremely expensive, and I move to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is the number one club in the country. The best con- I can't even get inside this club physically, except for the fact that my friend George Wallace is in town, and he takes me into the Comedy and Magic Club. Now, he can't get me on stage. He can only get me inside the club. And at the time, some of you guys may remember, a football player got hit in the eye with a flag, and he was soon in the league for $400 million. And uh, now in the green room is George Wallace, Gary Shanley, Jay Leno. And these guys are working on this joke subject for the Tonight Show's monologue on NBC. I'm not saying anything. I'm just happy to be in there eating French fries with these dudes. <laughs> but your gift will make room for you. So I'm sitting there and they're working on a joke. Then it got quiet and they looked at me and I was like, oh, snap. (laughs) This is an opportunity. I was like, all right, let me see if I got this right. He got hit in the eye with a flag. 
He lost his vision in one eye, and he's suing a league for $400 million. Oh, he's not going to see half of it. <laughs> like, for real. Here's the thing. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? The truth is, it wasn't as much pressure as you might think, because I've been practicing since I was a child in the form of a kid who had a hard time reading. I've been practicing just like you've been practicing. You probably didn't know you were practicing, though. I'm here to let you know you've been practicing, and it's game time. But you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. So now I'm in the club. Like, I'm in the club, and uh, probably four years ago, five years ago, right before I got on stage, I was headlining there. God gave me a change in mindset about comedy. Normally, when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. That's what I was all about. And then God said to me simply, no, what I want you to do is go up there and give them an opportunity to laugh. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to the ways that you're going to look it up. <laughs> he said, give them an opportunity to laugh. This right here has changed everything about everything that we do as a company. Because I'm not looking to take, I'm looking to give. If you can get a hold of this, it will literally, for real, in every way, change your life. Because if you walk into a room and you're asking the question, what can I give? You're just in a better place. You are more like Jesus under those circumstances. And if you haven't made that decision to ask that question, by default, you were asking, you were saying, what can I get? So when you make the choice, it literally changes everything. So now I'm in the... I do, I do my show. We have a great time. I leave the club that night. There's people around. They want autographs, high fives. It's like this whenever I leave this club now. But this in particular night, while I'm talking to the people, I look across the street and I saw a homeless guy. I had never seen a homeless guy outside this club before, ever. But that doesn't mean he wasn't there before. That just means before, my mindset was to get laughs from people. So why would I even notice a homeless guy? I noticed him and I was like, what about him? How could I give him an opportunity to laugh? Then I asked God, and God was like, you really want to know? And I was like, uh, nope. <laughs> and I said, yes, and we went and did this comedy tour. We started going to homeless shelters in prison. So whenever I do a concert somewhere, we always look for a prison or a homeless shelter to do comedy at. We go to this one prison. I got to tell you what happens. Um, I'm scared for real. As <laughs> soon as we walk in, a word took my belt from me. He's like, you can't have a belt. Somebody might try to hang you. Can't they just boo me or something? Why I got to hang me? <laughs> I'm in prison. My pants are loose. This is a bad idea, man. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I got seven different ways to look at this, man. <laughs> so I'm scared for real, and I'm walking in this prison, and I know, like I know, I need to be funny immediately. Normally, if you ever come see me in concert, I take my time, it's cool, it's interactive. No, I need them to like me immediately, but not too much. <laughs> so I'm walking into prison, and uh, I need a joke, and I'm, I'm doing the math. And first of all, bars, when you walk in, the bars open in front of you. You take a few steps, and they close, and there's some more bars. And just take a couple. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> welcome home. You know, anyway... Um, so I'm scared. I'm walking in and I know I need a joke immediately and I got nothing. Seven different ways to nothing. I had one joke pop up, but I wasn't going to start with it. I was going to be like, you know what? You guys are a captive audience. I just want to say that, you know. Uh, so I'm scared for real. 
and I'm walking in and um, I literally have nothing. And, I, and all the prisoners are sitting in here. First of all, there's no stage. Like there's no glass. We're not doing comedy on the phone. <laughs> These cats are right here expecting funny and I got nothing. Seven different ways to nothing. And I remember walking in and all of them got on pink jumpsuits. So what? I ain't saying nothing about them jumpsuits. <laughs> and they're all sitting there and I figure I got two steps left before I got to bring the funny before instinctively they know that I know that I got nothing and I don't know what's going to happen because there's no guards in there with me. The guards left me at the last gate and they gave me a little, gave me a little black box and they put it on my pants and they said, if anything happens, pull the pin. <laughs> don't they know about the pin? It's probably one dude. His job is to hold the pen. <laughs> so I, so I take my first step. I still got nothing, 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 nothing. I lift this foot up. Still got nothing. I settle this foot, and for real, Life Church. Listen, sitting right up front is a white dude with a white beard named Moses. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Lord. When I said these words of Moses, the place exploded in laughter. We had an amazing time. I said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. When you see the prison warden, I want you to look him in his eye. I want you to look him right in his eye, and I want you to say, let my people go. <laughs> like, for real. So here's the thing. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? It wasn't that much pressure because I had been practicing just like you have been practicing. Before I bounce, I'd like to explain to you how life works. At least from a comedian's perspective. First there's a setup, and then there's a punchline. The setup is your talents, your resources, and your opportunities. And most of the time, we use our setup to ensure that our audience or the people around us are moving in a direction that serves us. Which means the punchline occurs when you change that direction in a way they weren't expecting. You actually use your setup for other people. The results are the same, yet multiplied. Revelation, fulfillment, and joy. But it's not just for the one receiving your punchline. It's also for you who get to deliver the punchline as well. People ask me all the time, Michael, what was your big break? Our next guest has performed on Comedy Central's Premium Blend. He made his first appearance on The Tonight Show from the Montreal Comedy Festival. You seen him on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. That wasn't a big break. The big break was at a club. And right before I got on stage, I had a change in mindset about comedy. Normally when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. And I felt a little shift take place where I felt like I was to go up there and give them an opportunity to laugh. Now I'm not looking to take. I'm looking for an opportunity to give. This changed everything. My name is Michael Jr. I'm going to do some jokes. And ultrasounds come in color now, which is ridiculous. I know it's a black baby. It better be a black baby. I leave the club that night, and there's all these people giving me hugs and high fives, telling me their favorite jokes. Then I look across the street, and I saw a homeless guy. 
And I thought to myself, what about him? Most comedy, most jokes are set up. My son, four years old, looks at me out of nowhere. He says, Dad, I want to be a doctor. I was like, yes, yes. And then a punchline. Then he said, or a dinosaur. I understand that me doing comedy and doing all of these TV shows and making all these people laugh is really just a setup. My punchline is to make laughter commonplace in uncommon places. We go to Montrose, Colorado, a place called the Dolphin House. They take care of children who have been abused by their parents. And this grandmother explains to me that her um, grandson is being abused by his mom. He's so afraid of his mom that everywhere he goes, he wears a Spider-Man costume. So I get on stage, sitting right up front, Spider-Man. I start doing comedy. People start laughing, slowly but surely. Probably about 25 minutes into it, I hear a voice. And the voice says, my name is Ronan. And this little boy pulls off his mask. And it was one of the most powerful moments in my entire comedy career. If we could just stop asking the question, what could I get for myself? And start asking the question, what can I give from myself? I think people would learn that you don't have to be a comedian to deliver a punchline. So if I ask the question, how many people here know what your setup is? I'm talking to everyone at every location. If I ask the question, how many of you know what your setup is? Chances are you'd be able to tell me. You can tell me if you went to school, you can tell me if you have a job, where you live, if you have a car, you have clothes. Your setup is about what you've received. But what if I ask the question, what is your punchline? How many of you actually know what your punchline is? And to live life only knowing the setup and not the punchline is an extremely uncomfortable place to live. Let me give you an example. How many people are still thinking about the story of me and Pastor Craig at the restaurant? (laughs) So you're still thinking about that story because all you have is the setup. And that's a story you just heard. But what you've decided to do is just push it in the back, continue on about life. We've laughed. You heard some stories. Everything's fine. But you still don't have the rest of the story. The punchline is still missing. And that's a story you just learned right now. You've been living your story your entire life. And if you only have the setup and don't know what the punchline is, you need to know your punchline. And the one who knows your punchline happens to also be the owner of the greatest setup punchline story ever. Let's think about Jesus for a moment. He was the king. My bad. He was the king of kings. And when you're the king of kings, the mindset of the entire audience is you serve the king of kings. That is the direction everyone goes. But what did he do? He said, no. He changed the direction. He said, instead of you serving me, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to climb up on this cross and I'm going to die for your sins. The greatest setup punchline story ever and he also knows your story he knows your setup and please catch this when I was a kid I had a hard time reading he knows your setbacks which are just part of your setup so you can deliver the punchline you're called to deliver and the further back you've been set like a slingshot the further you're going to reach 
But you first have to clearly just say to him, please tell me, what is my punchline? Why am I here? I appreciate you. I love you. I'm Michael Chang. Good stuff, huh? You understand why? Go ahead and turn them all up. You understand why uh, I felt compelled to show you that? Uh, New life started because we wanted to reach people who were far from God. And we said that it's so imperative for us to reach people who, who've never heard about Jesus, who don't understand Jesus. We want to be a place where, where, you know, the music, you tap your toe, where it's fun music. We want to be a place where, um, somebody who's got no church background can walk in here, can hear the message in a language that they understand. And they can, they can then some point, we believe God is so powerful that he's going to bring them right up to the line of faith. And they're going to say, I've got to give my heart and my life to Jesus. That's why we started the church because, because our setup, so many of us, our setup was we'd been in traditional churches and, and we're grateful for what we were taught in the traditional churches but we thought it was unacceptable that some of the lost people that we knew either were not welcome there because they really weren't or they felt unwelcome there. So we said, we're going to do something different. And that's why we're here is to help people come to Christ. And I, I told the band, I told you all this several weeks ago, but right before the Sunday before um, Thanksgiving, we did a set and, and, um, you know, it's some it's songs we'd done before, maybe a new one in there. And then afterwards, a girl that I didn't even know walks up and, and sits right here. She said, I need to talk to you after the early service. And, and she prayed to receive Christ. And, and then in talking with her, all of this stuff, she's going to be baptized, hopefully next week, sometime in this, in the new year, she's going to be baptized, but she prayed to receive Christ. And I said, okay, you need to go home. You need to write down November 20th is your spiritual birthday. And she went, I said, what's the significance of that day? And, and I don't remember how many, but I think it was, that was her 60 day, um, being sober day. And so anyway, she came up, she's come up several times after the early service. And, and I just thought she's why we started this church and she's why we keep doing what we do. But, but I've got to tell you that God didn't call you here by accident. You're here not to sit on your butt. You're here to serve, whether that's serving through our hearts in motion where we give out uh, boxes of food, whether that's serving in the children's area, whether that's, you know, giving clothes to people, whatever it is, you're called. God has a setup in your life. And, and I love what he said. The most frustrating place in the world to be is to know your setup, but not know the punchline. So you need to discover your story, you need to write it down. You need to think about how God might want to use that. You need to discover your spiritual gifts and you need to get plugged into the family and serve. Just in case you didn't have all the answers, I wrote them down. Comedy has two parts, set up, punchline. And when, when you give, this is what I thought was really cool. When you give the punchline, your audience receives revelation, fulfillment, and joy. But so do you. When you serve in the way God created you, you walk out of that situation with revelation, fulfillment, and joy. And so, you know, comedians want to, want to get laughs from people. God said, give people an opportunity to laugh. And then here's, here's the question for you today. What can I give? If, if you go to a church and you're just asking, what can I get? You're not any good to that church or to the kingdom of God. 
You need to be asking regularly, what can I give to the church, to the community, wherever I work? What can I give? If you will make that shift, you'll see God do some amazing things in your life.